Welcome to Advantage. I'm your host, David Young, and if you're listening today, I appreciate you joining us again this week. When you're a school principal, decisions are sort of your life. Some decisions will have a small impact and others will have a large impact. You make hundreds of small on-the-spot decisions daily, but at the same time, you're also managing medium-range decisions and long-range decisions like ones for next summer or next year are never far from your mind, and they all require your attention. To add to it, all decisions aren't created equally, but of course, you'll try to get 100% of them right if you can. And I wonder, as I'm saying this, if this is starting to sound familiar uh, to those of you who are in school leadership. As you make these decisions, you're going to feel strongly about the outcome of some decisions, but you won't feel as strongly about others. You'll have tons of time to get some decisions right, but with others, you'll have some time and still others. Those decisions will have to be made right now. The principles of shared leadership say that good leaders empower others, trust others around them, and make sure that they have a voice in the decision-making process. But how do you accomplish that with so many different types of decisions to be made? How do you handle all those factors at once? I believe that this is why leaders sometimes resort to just making mostly top-down decisions or uh, unfortunately become accused of having an inner circle of favorite staff who call all the shots. It's not because those things are actually true. It's because the number of decisions that need to be made is overwhelming. And no matter how much the leader wants to get input and share the decision-making process, he or she just isn't set up well to do that. So today we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of school leadership. The topic for today is called structures for decision making. In order to be agile, thorough, and inclusive, you need some steady structures that are in place. And today we're going to tell you how. My guest today is Dr. Rocky Wallace of Campbellsville University. Dr. Wallace is a mentor and a close friend of mine. He and I actually got to know each other through co-teaching classes for aspiring principals at the college level. So today's conversation is going to go right along with a lot of others that we've had. I'm really happy to have him on the podcast. Dr. Wallace is an accomplished educator, author, consultant, and former school principal. And he's even the pastor of a church in central Kentucky, truly a busy man. Dr. Wallace, thank you for joining me today on Advantage. Thank you, David. Quite an honor to be here. I've been listening to your podcast over the last few months, and you've had some wonderful bits of wisdom shared from folks. So we'll do our best to help out today. Sounds good. So, Dr. Wallace, I've introduced you uh, and told a little bit about you, but uh, anything else that you can add to tell us a little more about yourself? Uh, just real quickly, my wife, Denise, and I, and I co-pastor with her, actually. I, I sort of lend a little bit of help, but she's the one with the MD of, from Asbury Seminary. So, uh, we come from northeastern Kentucky. Our, our home was the Ashland area, uh, Lawrence County, Boyd County. Um, I um, was principal of two schools in that region, uh, Fallsburg School in Lawrence, a K-8 school, and then Catlicksburg, a, a, a P-5 school. Um, we decided after about two years of prayer, literally, to move to Central Kentucky when our girls were headed off to college. Both of them uh, 
had the opportunity to go to Asbury University and our family of four, we wanted to be a more part of their lives longer. So I've been down in this area for uh, since fall 2009 and have loved it very much. Um, after I left the uh, principalship, I was able to go to uh, KDE to serve as a consultant to principals. So uh, as you shared earlier, your passion for working with principals, I've had that a long time. So I was able to, uh, to go out into the field and talk to principals in terms of what they needed and provide support. Um, last year that I was at KDE, it was like a two and a half year grant. Uh, I was in the HSC program. So we were moving more in the direction of let's not only provide support to the schools, but we need to start with the school principal. Uh, that led me to KEDC, one of your uh, fellow co-ops here in Kentucky as director of instructional support and adult education. I love that work. I love the work that co-ops do. Such a huge piece here in Kentucky for our educational model. While at KEDC, I worked on and completed my doctorate. And then uh, from there, I landed at Moorhead State to help uh, redesign their, their principal support program and school administration program, and then have done similar work in redesigning uh, at Asbury, the principal program there, uh, when it went online and most recently last four and a half years at Campbellsville as Campbellsville's new uh, school admin program went online. So I've been blessed beyond measure and to pinch myself sometimes in terms of, of uh, how my career path has, has uh, moved along and very fulfilling and getting to meet people like you and getting to, to, uh, to network and, and always learning and studying about leadership and, and, um, um, growing young leaders at this stage of my career, I realize that's that's the call on my life to do that as well as I can, and, and I thoroughly enjoy it. Well, it's you know it's such important work. I know it's near and dear to your heart, but you know we we obviously, I mean, I've started a podcast, and it's mostly you know it's for leaders of different levels, but we talk a lot to school principals. Uh, and when I think about, you know, public education or just education in general, the role of the principal, not that our teachers aren't important and our classified staff and our central office staff, but man, the role of the principal uh, is just such a vital uh, role for making all the things that are supposed to happen for kids happen. And so I, I kind of, I, as you know, I share that passion and, and you've really been able to make uh a very large portion of your career, either being a principal or doing things to support principals. So I really, I really admire that. And I, I've, a lot of my career has been that sort of thing as well. Yeah. Well, so as we get into the, to the topic today, I, I, I'll throw a little terminology out there just because this is terminology I use and I'll probably use it as we're talking today. Uh, so as we're talking about making decisions, I'm going to talk about making top-down decisions and flat decisions. And so top-down decisions, of course, being a decision that the principal makes himself or herself and really doesn't take the time or have the time to consult with others. It's just a decision that has to be made right now. And then the other end of the spectrum would be a flat decision. And, and if you flatten the decision out as much as possible, that means that you give it as much time as it needs and you um, get input and feedback from as many stakeholders, whether those are teachers, 
uh, parents, students, community members, et cetera, you flatten that decision out so that you get as much input as you can uh, before you make that decision. And I, I know, and of course, there are there are levels everywhere in between on that spectrum from top down to uh, completely flat. So as we get into the topic today, Dr. Wallace, what are some of your first thoughts about structures for decision-making in a school? Well, strategy structure is huge. Um, it'll make or break any leader. Um, there's a balance that's involved. You, you mentioned the decisions that need to be made right now, and the uh, executive leader needs to make those. Um, and then those that when you have time to have input from a variety of stakeholders, if you can walk that balance where your staff realizes and has confidence in you that he or she's going to make the decisions that we need him or her to make, and they're going to get input anytime they can when there needs to be feedback from folks on staff as well as other stakeholders. That sounds easy, but it's a hard tightrope to walk. Um, a lot of us, uh, had modeled for us more of a school management model that was top-down. And in this generation, that does not work. So effective school leaders have transitioned to realizing this is about empowering and equipping others. This is about shared leadership, as you mentioned earlier, servant leadership. So those who struggle with that, making too many decisions when they have time to consult others, um, they may be making smart decisions, David, but typically they will not have as much trust across the organization. Uh, and folks in the community will assume that they're playing unhealthy politics and it just sort of goes south. If, if you're too much of a, you can actually be uh, so self-confident that you make too many of decisions. So you can be right and wrong at the same time, if that makes sense. Oh, it, it, it definitely does. And I think that, you know, sometimes when we're in the building uh, making these decisions, you know, there's so we had we're hit with so many of them in a day that we just if we don't watch, we just get in the habit of just making the decision ourselves rather than slowing down when we can and talking with others. And you know, a big part of a big part of leadership is bringing others along with us and getting their input and seeking. Uh, their expertise. That's part of the trust building process that goes along with others that you are leading. Yes, definitely. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on this. Uh, I often say that a principal should flatten out as many decisions as possible because there are so many that you can't. Uh, so whenever you do have the opportunity to flatten one out and take your time and really make sure that all stakeholders input uh, is is gotten. Uh, I think you have to relish that opportunity because you really do get in situations where you truly don't have you don't have the time or it's just a or maybe it's a safety decision. It, there are just a lot of those that happen quickly that have to be made without flattening them all the way out. Maybe you can get input from a couple uh, folks around you, but not uh, the whole uh the whole bunch of stakeholders. So what are, what are your thoughts on uh, whenever you can flatten one out, you really need to make sure that you do? Well, that's a core value piece. That's a great question. And uh, if you can develop personally 
with your self-leadership and realize, you know, this is the right thing to do when I have time, I'm going to make a smarter decision if there's others helping me. So <clears throat> sometimes it's your school secretary, uh, which I <laughs> wish we would call these folks the school manager and pay them twice what we pay them because they yep. are a tremendous asset. If you have a good school secretary or office manager, your school runs so much better. Uh, there are principals uh, who tell me in my classes that something that has become more common is to have uh, meetings on Monday mornings with the leadership team. So that may be uh, the assistant principal, the school counselor, counselor, a couple of other folks, and just uh, take a look at the week, That's maybe 15 or 20 minutes. That is a really smart strategy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I remember Tom Peterson from KDE several years ago uh, talked about how his life was changed when he uh, took Stephen Covey's training um, and it basically emphasized do a weekly planner before you start the week. And he said his Sunday afternoons, he would do his weekly planner and then uh, his weeks went totally different than they had before he did that. So everybody's different on our strategies, but the core value of um, I need to seek input from others uh, that's just a smarter way to do it. It actually allows a principal to have some pretty normal hours too. Um, high school principals sometimes are working daylight to dark and working ball games and other extracurriculars in the evenings. Um, I don't see how they do that for a long period of time. And actually the research says they don't. The shelf life for principals is about four to six years in our society. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you, I guarantee you, effective high school principals will tell you, uh, I, I have processes where other people are helping me to make the decisions when I have time to. An elementary principal actually can go home at a reasonable time if they don't have a lot of extra activities, if they will let others help them. If you don't do that, uh, I've, I've known people who crashed and burned because they were doing the job really, really well, but they weren't, um, they didn't have a core value of I need to, let others help me whenever I have time to with these decisions. I'll finish this question with one example. One of the greatest books I think that's ever been written on this topic you're talking about today is by Ken Blanchard, and it's called Leading at a Higher Level. And it's almost like a, a doctorate program in one book. And he talks about four parts of effective leadership. Self-leadership, how can you lead others effectively if you're struggling with, with understanding yourself um, the second one he talks about is mentoring others. So if you do have the emotional intelligence and you're working on that to understand yourself and read yourself the way others see you, then you're going to be able to mentor and coach others. Then the third one he talks about is developing healthy teams. Mm -hmm. He says that's critical. And then the fourth one, he says, once you're doing all that, your macro leadership, the organization will be healthy. So on a school level, it's wise for a principal. And I, I share this with my students. Um, not just PLCs, but various type, types of teams um, so that you can uh, delegate the work to them, farm it out. They come back with smart recommendations to you and or your school council, and it just, uh, the school runs so much better. Uh, that's great points, and and uh, I want to come back in a minute. Well, we're, I want to talk about uh, what some of those different types of teams are that you can come in that you can put into place because I think that's such a core part uh, of what we're talking today. But before I do, uh, I love the fact that you mentioned that 
you know, it not only helps you make better decisions because you have smart people around you. Uh, we've already talked about the fact that involving others empowers them and makes them feel a part of the organization and, and they know that, that their input is valued. But then on top of that, uh, the fact that it uh, allows you to make a better decision because you have because you do have those smart people and, and two heads are better than one and five heads are better than two and and so on but then i love that you mentioned that it is a time saver uh and uh, you know sharing that responsibility uh can allow you to be productive and successful for a longer period of time rather than as you said crashing and burning which we have all seen uh principals do who try to take it all you know, on, on their own shoulders. And uh, so I think those are, I think those are fantastic points. So what do you think, what factors do you think come into play when a principal is trying to determine how to handle the decision? So, you know, I, I'll, I'll give you a scenario. I'm, you know, I'm a principal and this isn't one of those split second things, but we have something that we're, uh, that we're going to have to decide as a school to go one way or the other. It may be the new math program that we're going to uh, adopt, or it may be uh, planning next year's professional development, or maybe we don't have a, a PBIS system uh, really in place across our whole school, so that's a decision that we have to make. Uh, or it could be that the behavior in the cafeteria this week has been really bad. And so, and we can't continue on uh, that way. So we have to figure out how to remedy that situation. So when those types of situations come to me as a principal, what factors am I really dealing with uh, in how to proceed uh, to get to a solution? Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know what Todd Whitaker says, he says to make sure you talk to your most dedicated, talented teachers and staff and make sure that you glean their wisdom. And that doesn't mean exclude others, right. but if you were wanting to create a, a, an ad hoc team for one of the examples you just gave, uh, I would think you would start with the person in the building who has the most knowledge about that area. Yes. You may already have a team that's, uh, that's, that's designated for that topic. Um, so that's something that just makes it so much easier to move forward. Another thing I would add, David, is that you want to uh, practice full disclosure. And that doesn't mean that you share with people every decision you've made. There's confidentiality with staff and with um, parents and with central office and with the superintendent that you do have to practice confidentiality. Sometimes that's one of the most frustrating parts of the job because your staff is wondering why did he or she make that decision? Um, and you really can't share with them because it's confidential. Right. But when you can share, um, your staff really appreciates you and trust you so much more um, when you are able to share. These are all the variables that I know of, and I need this team to work on this for a couple of weeks or however long it is, and then come back to me uh, or, or to our uh, SBDM council with some smart recommendations. Um, I wish I would have done more of that. Uh, because like you said, it is a time saver and you're going to make um, better decisions. And if you're making decisions that go to the school council, you know, the school council, if they're not sure about the recommendation, they can always table it. So I think sometimes 
we unnecessarily make decisions that we should have chewed on it more, so to speak. And we should have taken our time. We should have researched. I don't know why we don't. Um, this generation does this better than the past generation of leaders. But, man, we have so many resources all around us in yeah. our district and other schools. And it doesn't take long to pick up the phone or, t or to text the principal you know in another district that they have this great reading program and you've read about it you 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 heard it presented at the local co-op board meeting so why not text them and say tell me how this works i'm getting ready to to put a team together we're getting ready to do some some uh, changes with our school-wide reading program so i think sometimes we have resources all around us that we don't take advantage of because the job is so busy that's a big part of it yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of times we just want to get it done. Like we have so many things on our to do list and that new thing pops up that it needs to go on our to do list. And we just want so badly to check it off and uh, and move on to the next thing. My friend, Amy Razor, who is the executive director at the Northern Kentucky Co-op, um, and she got this and I can't remember. I wish I could quote the book that she read. But uh, one of the quotes in the book is. Uh, pausing saves the world and uh and she it's really a, a goal for her to learn to pause and not to just move so quickly on things but to really uh stay cognizant cognizant of the fact that you know some of these things that you think really have to be done today don't have to be done today you can pause on those and research and think and consult others and uh and often make a better decision yeah. so speaking of time uh here's something and i don't know if you and i have ever talked about this before but this is something that i tell uh new principals or aspiring principals and that is i believe when um when a decision comes your way the extent to which you flatten out the decision needs to come down to two things number one uh, how much time do you really have? And, and, and that comes up, that comes back to the pausing. Uh, it, is it really something that has to be done today? Do, do I have a week uh, that I could have to research and talk to others and make that decision? Is it a decision that I, you know, that I have a month or two or, or three to, to get to the finish line on? So the first one is how much time do I really have? And then the second thing I tell them is that they need to be honest with themselves on whether they can actually live with multiple uh, end results. And uh, sometimes as a principal, uh, you really think you really can live with multiple results. I'd be OK if we do this. Uh, a, I'd be OK if we do B or I'd be OK if we do C. But other times, even though you may have a lot of time to see this decision through, you can you really in your mind can only live with one result. And if and if that's the case, then you need to own that. And uh, you probably don't need to try to flatten that decision out, because the worst thing you can do is to flatten a decision out and take months on it and get lots of input. And then at the end. Uh, the decision or the result that they come to is not the one that you can live with and you end up doing what you wanted to do anyway. Uh, you, you lose trust uh, in that way. So, so if you feel that strongly about it, I always say you should avoid that. But if you can live with, mo and if you find yourself 
uh, only being able to live with one result often, then then you need to be reflective about that and 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 think about how you know that's a that's a whole that's a podcast for another day about how you kind of uh, change your mindset maybe there. But but the time that you have and whether you can live with multiple decision uh, uh, results. Uh, or not. So I'm uh, anxious to know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's important that we can live with our decisions. It's it's important that we uh, can look back and I can look back over my career and two or three decisions that I deeply regret that I, that I wish I would have handled it differently uh, and probably could have probably could have actually worked through the process told people this is what I really think we need to do on this one and they would have trusted me um I tell my students the main role you play as a school principal and this is true for the superintendent on the macro level for the school district on the school level the main role you play is legal guardian of the school yes Uh, so practicing preventive law and thinking through what's the worst case scenario because you'll get to a point of no return you know, if you have an irate parent and she comes in challenging, say something that we're not doing with an IEP and you're having a bad day and you um, don't handle that conversation as if it's the most important conversation you're going to have that month, maybe. Yep. Uh, you can find yourself later saying we're at a point of no return. Just got a call from the uh, superintendent's office and we're in litigation. And man, oh man, I wish I would have had some more conversations with that parent because we could have avoided this. So um, I think it's re- going back to core values to have in, in your mind ahead of time, how do we handle situations like this so it's the right way to handle it? And then the chips fall where they may. You may still from time to time have, have some litigation brought toward your school or the district. But certainly you don't want to speed that along um, or to make it worse because you've not thought through the ramifications. So I think superintendents are, are walking around the district more than people realize thinking about worst case scenario ramifications. And I know principals are doing that on school level every day. You have that in the back of your mind, you know, are, are we doing all we can do in terms of, uh, of uh, what's best for the kids, what's best for the school. That's easy said, harder to do. But you can go down rabbit holes. I'm sure you remember maybe going down one or two, and you think yeah. later, I, I, I could have nipped this in the bud with one five minute conversation. Now, we've been talking about it all around the building for a month. Yes, and I've made that decision. I made I've made that mistake too that I mentioned a minute ago, where I, you know, uh, it was a decision that I knew in my heart I could only go home and sleep at night if we ended in a particular place, and I ended up flattening that decision out and talking to lots of other people and. And then they came to a different result than what the one I thought I could live with. And so then you're in a no-win situation. Do I go with the group and uh, do something that in my heart I don't believe is right? Or, you know, I've, I've gotten in that catch-22 uh, situation before as well. You know, when we watch coaches, uh, I use uh, sports analogies a lot. And I know some people say don't use sports analogies, but sports imitates life so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I love to use sports analogies. So uh, two things that we're talking about here um, that really tie in. If you watch a coach, a head basketball coach, typically during a timeout, uh, let's say it's Coach Calipari at UK. 
So what does he do? He huddles his assistant coaches around him, doesn't he? And a lot of times they are saying, this is what we need to do in this situation, and this is what we do in that situation. Well, if in his heart of hearts he agrees, he should go with it. Yes. But if he if he's in if he's in his heart of hearts, he thinks I had a better plan that I think will work. And then what they told him doesn't work, then he has to live with that because he he knows during that 30 second timeout, I already had in my mind what needed to be done. I don't have to let my assistant coaches tell me what to do in every situation. So I don't know if that makes sense or not, but yes. when, when we've made a lot of big decisions that impact a lot of people, I think the older we get, the more we realize uh, there's going to be ramifications for this. So I do have to live with it, which is the point you're making, which is a great point. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's get into talking then about what those structures are. And I'm, I'm going to start with a couple non-structures. Um, and, and well, let me start with, uh, for our listeners who aren't from Kentucky, I'll mention that we may talk in a few minutes about site-based councils. So a site-based council is a governing body that every school, every public school in Kentucky has. Uh, it is made up of uh, typically three teachers, two parents, and the principal is the chair of the site-based council. So, so I wanted to give that a little bit of context, and then I'll start with a couple non uh, non-examples. So uh, when you are about to make a very big decision for your entire school that, uh, that is going to have a, a big impact, it's going to have a large ripple effect, you probably don't want to try to do that in a faculty meeting. Uh, that's something that we've talked about on the podcast before. I've made that mistake where I went in to make a big decision in a faculty meeting and it didn't go very well. And uh, we all have some stories like that. It's difficult uh, what is that saying? It's, you know, it's hard to get 20 people to agree where to go to lunch, much less to make a, a, a decision that's going to have a huge impact on a school. So, uh, you know, you probably shouldn't do that in a faculty meeting. Sometimes to gather input, we want to send out a survey uh, to the staff. And there are times that a survey can be very effective, but you have to be careful with surveys um, because when you do survey, um, you know, there'll be, uh, there'll be folks that will give varied opinions and then whatever decision you make is going to go against some of those opinions that they have now put in writing. And it's a little bit different to put an opinion in writing than it is just to share it with somebody and say, hey, well, here's what I think we should do. It's different to take the time to sit down and, and answer a survey or write a paragraph about it. So not saying you shouldn't use a survey, but it is something that you should think about before you do. So uh, you mentioned earlier ad hoc committees. Now I would say ad hoc committees are a very good example of, of a way that you, know, you can get the smartest people about a particular topic in the room together at the same time. And one of my leadership philosophies is if you can get the right people in the room at the right time talking about the right thing, you can solve just about any problem, make nearly any decision and come out with a really good one. So an ad hoc committee um, that might be an ad hoc committee that's reporting to you as the principal, or it might be an ad hoc committee that's reporting to the site-based council. Uh, I think either one of those uh, can work really well. Uh, what other kinds of structures, you know, it's, it's good if you have several different types of, they don't have to be standing committees always, but if there are several different types of, um, of decision-making groups that are already in place, it gives you options when it when it comes to how much time do I have, 
and how important is this and how do I feel about it? You can plug that directly into the, the group structure that makes the most sense. And it's very time efficient and it gets the right people talking about that decision. So, so uh, any, any thoughts on different kinds of groups you can have that are set up to do those kinds of things, Dr. Wallace? Well, it makes the work a lot easier for the school council too. If they can delegate out um, work to various teams and then the next month the team comes back with a recommendation, um, budget teams, technology teams, uh, PD teams. Curricular teams probably. Yes, those yeah. come to mind as really an automatic when you think it, think about it. And the staff's going to trust that a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the principal is hired by the, by the school council and the superintendent and others in the school district sort of look to that principal to provide the leadership. And the staff does too. And the school council does. So um, if, if you've done your homework and done your research and you're sharing all the variables and you have a team that's been doing some work for the school council, it typically does not take long to come up with a really smart decision that might be a more complicated decision. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's just working smarter. And it, it's also helping you to have a reputation in the district and in the community and in the school as being an ethical leader. Uh, you can make some really smart decisions, but folks feel like that was a little bit shady. You know, we weren't given all the information that was run through the school council. None of us even heard about it. Yep. So uh, it's just common sense, core values. Um, and I don't think traditionally maybe school councils have, some school councils have fully grasped they're like a school board. They are a, basically a local school board. The meetings are open. The media can be there. You can have a hundred parents there if you have a controversial topic. Mm. So the principal is the CEO of the school. It's with school councils. Literally, that's how it's set up. Um, I had a, had a principal tell me one time when we first started uh, doing the school council work that he left the hiring decisions to his to his school council. Well, that's not how the law is written. The law is written that the principal makes the recommendation. Yep. Uh, and the principal can even disagree with the school council. So there is a meeting in the middle that if principals can realize there's a role I play, there's a role these folks play, there's a role that our subcommittees play. Uh, but then uh, this is why they pay me the big bucks. I need to sort of make sure I'm in agreement with these big decisions. And I think the staff actually appreciates that, David, with all the hiring decisions that go on in the summer, especially. Uh, I think they appreciate that the school council has worked hard on those decisions. And sometimes there's interview committees. But I would say most people don't want the interview committee to overrule who the principal thinks needs to be that person. I agree. Even, even if even if they if if you do if you agree to disagree is the phrase I'm trying to think of. So um, that's an important role that the principal uh, plays, and to model that for the school and to put that strategy structure in place solves a lot of problems. Uh, what people don't realize who've never been a school administrator, uh, I had a former central office supervisor one time who was a former principal to tell me something and it made so much sense. 
He said, the principal is the only person in the building that has the bird's eye view and knows 360 what's going on better than anybody else in the building because no one else in the building is serving in that role. Now, he wasn't saying the principal always gets it right and the principal should always make the decisions. What he was saying was when it comes down to maybe some folks wanting to hire somebody's cousin and uh, they've subbed in this building and why wouldn't we do that? Um, the principal needs to be 100% okay with that. Yep. Because he or she is bringing on somebody that is going to be working with kids and hopefully that person can be grown and and um, mentored into a great teacher. But if it's one of those compromising things where, well, we've always sort of done that, you know, this person lives here in the community, um, that goes back to, to the good old boy world <laughs> that school councils were supposed to get away from. So staff in the trenches can be guilty of that and they don't realize it. Yeah, there, you know, there are things uh, that you can delegate. Uh, and I, I think of delegate in a couple ways. There are things I can delegate, but I still want to be in the know on. There are other things I can fully delegate and say to a group, you know, this is your decision. You don't have to run it by me. Uh, and those, in my opinion, when you're the principal of a school should be very, very few and far between. Um, and then, and then there are things obviously that you might not choose, uh, to delegate at all when it comes to hiring, hiring, uh, is, you know, just the most important thing. So that, that specific, uh, example, goodness, I, I would not ever recommend, um, that a principal fully delegate the hiring decisions to someone else. Uh, if, if there's an interview committee, that's going to do some preliminary interviews and then, and then maybe bring the principal in the loop. Uh, you know, that's one thing I, I personally would recommend that you are part of all the interviews from the beginning, uh, because there are just, you know, if you miss out on some of those conversations, many times there's a key piece of information that, that you don't get, that you're getting secondhand, which keeps you and keeps the group from making the best decision. Right. I agree. Um, the other thing you mentioned earlier, you talked about Todd Whitaker, uh, Todd, uh, talks about, uh, catering to your superstars and, and that doesn't mean having an inner circle. It just means that there are people in the building that, that are the teachers that, uh, are your highest flyers and, um, and that you should be talking to them about the direction of the school and these bigger, these big decisions that are coming down the pike. So, uh, you should be talking to all your staff, but maybe you're having different conversations with different uh, with different staff members. So I, I always believe as a principal, you should have a leadership team. And, and to the extent that that leadership team can be made up of your superstars, uh, that's fantastic. There are times that maybe you only have a couple days to make a decision, but you can pull your leadership team together and talk about that. Uh, maybe make a decision on the spot or maybe say, let's go away and think about this overnight. We'll come back together tomorrow. Um, often those teachers that would be on your leadership team also have lots of uh, connections throughout the staff. And so you may say to that, if you have a little bit longer, say you have a week, you may meet with the leadership team on Monday and say, I'd like for you to go out and talk to folks about what their opinions are on this particular thing and get some input. And then let's come back together on Friday uh, and make this decision. So I think, and, and so that could be um, 
in some schools that might be, if you're a high school, that might be your department chairs. It, it may, or in your an elementary school, that may be a grade level representative, or it may just be a gathering, just a group of your superstars in general, no matter what subject or grade level uh, that they come from. So I think ha if you have some structures in place like that, plus you have your site-based council, plus you have the option of using ad hoc uh, committees, um, you know, we mentioned earlier flattening a decision all the way out. I really believe if you have the time to flatten a decision all the way out, you should probably have a, an ad hoc committee of experts working on that and then coming back to share it with you. And maybe you give them some feedback and they go back and work again. Maybe the next time they come back and share it with your leadership team. You give some more feedback. Maybe at some point they come back and share it with your with your whole staff, or they share it with your site-based council. Um, but I think giving them the opportunity uh, and on that ad hoc committee, if you're flattening it all the way out, might be great to have teachers, parents, uh, students. You know, kind of some representation from all groups that are working on that particular thing. Uh, so I think I think having uh, some structures like that in place where teachers know I'm part of this particular group. And uh, if we have a curriculum decision, you know, it's coming to us. Or if there's a big school-wide decision, I'm on the leadership team, so I know it's coming to us. It just makes, it gives you the opportunity to be agile and to pivot uh, as needed as the leader. I fully agree. Um, I used to, uh, in the spring, when we were working on the master schedule for the next year, at both of my schools, when I served as principal, I had a, a person who loved working on the master schedule. So just what you're saying, that was my ego in that situation. John Maxwell calls what um, you were just talking about, your people who are extremely talented in certain areas around the building, um, your high flyers or, or your eagles. Um, he and, and Todd Whitaker both explain that very similarly. But what would I do? And this is advice I think that staff would realize why a principal would do this. I would bring those team leads um, or those folks who are going to work on the master schedule for me. And I would say, this is what I need in the master schedule. So uh, they knew from the get-go. So if we needed an increased arts emphasis, if we needed planning time to be moved around so that something could happen, um, so they knew, okay, that's a non-negotiable. So now I'm going to go out to the staff and come back in a few weeks and show him the master schedule. So that's sort of an example of what you're talking about. I, I could have worked Saturday after Saturday after Saturday for a month trying to create the perfect master schedule. And because I don't know the details of what it's like from the staff's perspective, each person in the building, um, both of those folks would come back with the master schedule that the whole staff seemed to be able to say, we can live with this and it's better than last year. And that's hard to do with master schedules. So that's sort of an example of what you're talking about. The other thing I'll share is going back to John Maxwell. Um, if, if you don't empower and equip and pay attention and show that you appreciate your strongest people in the building, they will leave. Mm -hmm. The True. research says, I mean, not every one of them will leave, but you will have a higher turnover rate than you're comfortable with. What the research says is people don't leave because of salary and other perks that we often hear. They leave when they don't feel appreciated. Yep. 
So uh, that's a big part of what you're talking about today. The principal uh, has a huge role to empower, engage, build relationships with all staff, and certainly don't leave out those that are doing such a good job every day. You just feel like I just need to leave them alone. Don't leave them alone too much because uh, they want to be uh, want to feel appreciated just like everyone else in the building. Yeah, not only that too. They typically are people who have a growth mindset. They they want to they want to get better and they want to learn uh, from each other and they want to research things. And so they're the right people to have in the room because you're growing them as leaders and you're empowering them. You're appreciating them. You're helping them grow. Just so many good things. We could talk about having a leadership team and the importance of that, uh, you know, for an hour on its own. It's there, there are so many positive uh, impactful things that come from from really just treating from using that group in the way that you do and empowering those teachers, but then also to the broader topic today, you know, you when when you can uh, when you can involve others, superstar or not, uh, in in the decision making process, it's empowering to everybody, and it and it makes everyone feel like they have a stake in what we're doing here at the school and the improvement that we're making. It it builds trust. It's a great communication. Uh, strategy it, it you know it's very it, it creates a very open line of communication just so many good byproducts right. well you and I were talking before we we started this uh, this session how you uh, strongly believe in empowering and equipping your staff that are CEKEC and I can see that when I'm at your meetings so many people involved with different projects and giving reports and you can tell uh, they're inspired you can tell they have a lot of energy um, so you're good at that. And a lot of people see that who know the good work you're doing at CKEC. Thank you. Um, uh, a leader who's not good at that, David, uh, maybe it's due to insecurity, but if you uh, or I or anyone in a leader's leadership position, Maxwell calls it the law of the lid. Mm -hmm. And if you tend to hold people back, whether it's subconsciously or because of insecurity, uh, they'll either go somewhere else or they may be your boss someday, or <laughs> they may stir up some problems just because they're so frustrated. It's not a good idea to um, keep people off your leadership team or hold people down when they have obvious talents and abilities that need to be shared with the whole building. Now that takes strong leadership because people can tend to, to feel like, well, she's going to have my job someday. Well, that's not going to happen if you empower that person and grow that person. But we have all across our culture, um, that's one of the um, landmines for leaders is to, and you might lose them to another school, but if you have empowered and equipped and and shepherded that person, then, you know, more power to them. But if, if we hold people back, if we, if we don't plug the strongest people in where they need to be, then the organization is hurt. And, and the leader maybe later on will realize, man, I didn't really, I didn't understand the talent I had all around me and I didn't use it very wisely sometimes. Yeah. But better decisions, uh, more time efficient. And now we're talking about retaining uh, quality staff. Uh, this, this particular topic has a lot of tentacles 
uh, and can and can do a lot of great things for your organization when you do it well. Yeah. As we uh, as we wrap up today, uh, any other thoughts, uh, anything that we haven't talked about that you'd like to share with our listeners before we close up for today? Well, I appreciate the opportunity, David. This has been fun. I love to philosophize about best practice and leadership. I would just say you you mentioned the books uh, that I've been blessed to get to be a part of over the years. Right now, we're in the middle of uh, doing, we've done three now, counting the one we're working on right now. We have a higher ed group in Kentucky that meets with KDE and EPSB uh, once a month on Zoom. And by the way, that's another organizational strategy that we all have learned how to use more. So a busy principal could could have meetings with folks on Zoom, even even in the evenings at home and save a bunch of time sometimes. Right. But this particular group is called UPPI, uh, University Principal Preparation Group. And we uh, did a book two years ago with Roman and Littlefield uh, publishers on the PISL mm-hmm. standards. We did one last year, uh, True Stories from the Trenches on uh, principals or former principals telling real examples where they had practiced or observed servant leadership in their buildings. And then right now we're working on one on school safety. And John Akers has been a part of that and a lot of other folks. So uh, the proceeds of these books that this group has been working on, this is our third one, like I said, goes to uh, scholarships for uh, folks who are um, training to be school, school administrators. So there's not any personal profit to any of our schools. It's all going back into a fund where we can help folks with scholarships. So I would encourage folks out there listening. uh, These are books written by several current and former school administrators and principals. So it's really good stuff in terms of of the folks who've shared their wisdom. And I get to edit those books with a couple of people helping me. So uh, those have been wonderful projects to be a part of. Yeah, what a great thing to do uh, to have those proceeds go to such a good cause. Thank you for doing that. You have a couple, uh, maybe more than a couple books that you've written uh, on your own. And uh, so for our listeners, uh, look up Dr. Rocky Wallace uh, on, on several of those. Um, where, where, can they, where can they purchase books that you've written on your own? Uh, Amazon, or you can go to Rowan and Littlefield Education online and order those and all of those focus on servant leadership in my doctorate program i was introduced to the research and uh, how much better it is to uh, develop a lifestyle of servant leadership so i've been blessed over the years to write several books that focus on this is uh, how servant leadership can make a difference in an organization and also in your personal life in your marriage with your kids so that's something that uh, it changed my life in terms of my doctorate program, you know, we all think we know what servant leadership is. And I guess I'd had it modeled to me my whole life by my parents and others, but to really dive into how the research says it's a better way to grow an organization. It's a better way to live your life personally. Yeah. So that's, that's been a game changer for me. And I, and I know you model that David, you, you don't call it servant leadership, but um, how you have grown CKEC uh, it is, it is pretty spectacular in a short amount of time and fun to watch how you do that. Well, I appreciate it very much. And Dr. Wallace, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Thank you, David. All right. So that's going to wrap us up with another episode of Advantage. Hope you have a great week and I hope you'll join us again next week for the next episode. Take care.